Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and I want to finish, or at least uh, we never really finish, but um, complete the text we started on last week, because I believe this is one of those verses in the scripture that literally can transform our lives and it's in verse 22 of Psalm 33 and let me read it one more time let your loving kindness O Lord be upon us according as we have hoped in you I want to do a quick, very quick catch-up from last week, and then we'll just go straight on into the rest of the text. In case you weren't here, this word loving-kindness, I have spent a good deal of my life looking at that word. It dominates the praise of the Old Testament, and it's a very important word but also it needs some explanation because we really don't have anything like it in our world today. Loving kindness, it begins in the love of God. And do I need to say it, that God is love. And in First John, which is the great letter concerning the love of God, in that first letter he says, love is of God which the word of there means gushing out of the very being of God. This is not an occasional mood that God has. This isn't something that uh, he merely has attached to him at times. This isn't something that can increase or decrease. This is the very being of God. God is love. And When we say love, even among humans, that word used at its its very best ideas, love must, and certainly when we get to the high, exalted understanding of love that God is love, love, and hear me very carefully, this is so important, when we say love, we are talking about the desired intention toward relationship. Please understand that. I'm not saying, when I say God is love, I do not mean that God just sort of likes you, or he he feels nice towards you. No. When we say love, and I say again, even in the highest use of our human language, love is it's a heart matter comes from the core of one's being the desired intention toward relationship you may be friends with many people 
But the word love is reserved for that one that you desire relationship, that you desire to unite your life with. That's the meaning of love. Love is the uniting of lives together. It is relating together. I have said that relationship is a matter of exchanging stories. And um, I would uh, refer you to to other times I've said that. But quickly, um, in a relationship, we exchange our story with another that we trust with it. We tell the story of us, who we are. We expose our heart. We become vulnerable in telling another who we truly are. We share our dreams with another. And with that other, we share how we see that other. And we tell the story to that other of how we see our relating to that other. And the other shares their story with us and there is that exchange of trust there's an exchange of dreams and hopes and we see each other through the other's eyes you you know what I mean when people are truly in love which tragically we see too little of today but when two persons are really in love There is the bright of the eyes and there is flush of cheeks because you have been let into another's life with with the, the amazing honor of knowing them. They have told you their heart and you have heard how they see you as you've never seen yourself and you, you are daring to believe that. You say that that that's love relationship. It's it's the coming together of the two, and beyond the story, love. Its intention, its goal is is the coming together of two lives, so that two lives will now become because of this word love. They will become one, yet never cease to be two. Love does that. And so the scripture sums up this love between humans as saying that the two shall become one flesh. I think there I begin to understand the Holy Trinity, that that the being of God is this love, and therefore Father and Son and Holy Spirit are bound together so infinitely as to be three yet one. Did you begin to understand this mystery of love, specifically the love of God? And then to take the gigantic leap that God created, the whole of the universe is, and we humans at the peak of that universe, we are, we exist, we be, it is, because the God who is three yet one in love now desires to bring you into that union by sheer gift and grace that he would cause you to know his love 
which would bind you together with him, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one with God. That's his plan, relationship, union. And therefore, as you walk in this created earth, you are joined at your very heart being with the God who created you just to love you. And therefore, as you do your stuff as human, whether it be the work or the school or the home or the family, he swears by himself he will bless you and he will favor you and there will be tangible evidence of his love for you and upon you. Because this, this love that we talk of, it, 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 all, it can be a tiger of a thing. You know, um, love, love not only seeks with heart intensity union with the beloved, but also with that same intensity stands against anything and everything and anyone who would seek to destroy and separate and divide that relationship. I... I remember driving through the jungle in Africa and um, the tiniest elephant I'd ever seen. I mean, it was a miniature. Perfect elephant, but little tiny thing. It had actually, I mean, by the look of it, just been born but a few days. And the driver of the the vehicle got excited. He says, we've got to get up close and see that. I said, don't back up. I said, back up. Why? Because where there's just a newborn elephant, there is mother elephant close behind. And that is the most dangerous animal in Africa, a female elephant with a newborn. And she came out, and she came out raging toward us. And as she did so with her trunk lifted high and her ears flapping, which if you ever happen to be in Africa, run for your life when you see that. And as she was standing there, trumpeting her rage at us for even looking at her baby, that little tiny elephant put its head around its mother's great legs and it waved its trunk at us. And as we backed up faster than we'd been going forward, and I saw that little elephant and that raging mother, that, that's love, that's actually the word compassion. That is womb love, that is mother love. Don't even try to touch my beloved, okay? And you see that in the Garden of Eden, don't you? We talked about it. When God, in this, what, heart, passionate love toward us humans, stood with the human against Satan and against the sin that Satan had inspired in the human. Uh, and you see, if you don't see that God is love, you get an entirely different picture, because I've heard it preached many times, that, that God was enraged with the human, and he's going to punish them and damn them. And Now, you read the story again. It was love who stood with Adam, stood with Eve against Satan, 
promising that he would remove every barrier that mankind and Satan had put between. Okay, the love of God. If, if I were to tell you this, surely that's enough. And God did tell that to those first, and he revealed it through in Abraham. But then it says in Hebrews that in order to give us an absolute confidence in this love that he has, not only did he give his word, but he now undergirded it with an oath. Or another way of putting that, he made covenant. Covenant. Which among humans is understood is far more than your word. Covenant is attended by the shedding of blood. It is stating, even if it kills me, I keep my word. God stooped down to human necessity and understanding and said, I haven't only told you my love, I now swear an oath. And when humans swear an oath, they call upon God to be witness. But when God swears an oath, what does he do? He swears upon his own being. He was saying, if this is not accomplished, then may God himself cease to exist. His covenant. And from covenant, from that statement of his love that now has been blooded by the oath of covenant God swearing on his own life and being out from that comes this word loving kindness loving kindness is the word of covenant love now being played out um, every promise that was inherent in it being now kept Every purpose done, loving kindness. I, I suppose loving kindness is a homey word, for it's what this kind of love of God looks like in the kitchen. It's what it looks like as you go to the grocery store, as you take the kids to school. It's, it's that homey love where, where God has sworn never to leave you, where he's sworn on his own being that his love will attend you at every step of the way. And, and so loving kindness is love's intention on a daily, sometimes hourly Basis. He's nurturing you. He's feeding your innermost spirit with the promise of his love and being with you. And every day he would seek to deepen that awareness of his love, that you see that love more clearly and in more areas than you've ever dreamt of before. It's loving kindness. It's God's swearing on his own being to protect you from every enemy that might show up today it's it's his protecting love like the mother elephant i'm standing with you standing around you standing behind you standing ahead of you it's his love that provides and so all the stories in scripture of god's provision of food and finances and 
anything to do with this earth. It's what Jesus talked about. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. It's, it's loving kindness. It's God saying, I'll never leave you in any area, in any department of your life. I am with you. And he continually reveals the beyond mind union that we have with, with God. And of course, Jesus, who is God, taking to himself our human He is loving-kindness. All that the Old Testament had spoken of and used the word to say it, now that word, loving-kindness, has become one of us, a human flesh. Love has joined himself. This is the ultimate, you see. He, He desired and swore by himself to achieve union. Well... How much more union can you get? God became human. He joined us and joined us in the rough and tumble and everything of life that you and I have ever been through. And he carries us to the ultimate. And in his death, he embraced us and said, your life that has been blinded and twisted, distorted by Satan, I carry it now to death. And when he rose, he carried us out from death into a relationship with his father that he knew so that we would share with him his relationship with God the Father. And he ascended and he said, I'm carrying you with me into the invisible half of the universe where we will sit down together and revel in the Father's love. And from that posture, you will work in your kitchen and go to the office and the school and lay and play in the living room and go to the store. You will be a person of two worlds, living inside the heart of God while you be a normal human. And when he died he he cried the words out it is finished it's done you can't add to that he's accomplished it okay but you see now this is the question and i want to face you with this question that being said that is it is done His love has achieved his end. In the one person of Jesus Christ, he has carried us to his heart. Done. But how does that happen in my life? You know, I've spoken to probably thousands of believers, pastors, asking that same question. Because what I just said, if you read the scripture, you can't avoid saying, well, yeah, that's true. But then how does that happen in the depths of my life? How does it happen in my living room? How does it happen in my kitchen? 
with my kids? How, how does it happen in my workplace? How does this happen in life? And there are many that would say, well, it's done, it's finished, Jesus accomplished it, so therefore it is. Yeah, it is. I say amen to that. But the way they say it is, is to say, well, that that's the end of it. Everybody's sort of in. Um, well, just a minute. Love by its definition, cannot impose its will on another, can it? I mean, you you don't look at that man or that lady that you desire to have as your husband or your wife. You don't go up to them and say, well, I've, I, I, I decided I love you, and so you, you better stand in line here because I'm imposing on you marriage. You've got to... No, don't be daft. Do you, do you understand what I say? Once we say God is love, things have to happen in a certain way. If we said God is power, if we said God is sovereign, oh, well, you're dealing with something else altogether, yeah. You, you're dealing basically with some sort of God dictator, bully, that comes blundering into your life and says, I've chosen you and that's the end of it. No, God doesn't do that. There's no, God never forces you. He loves you. Love doesn't force. Love doesn't intrude. Love's not an unwelcome visitor. God is not a dictator. God is not just the supreme governor. Oh, what a shudder to think of that. God doesn't kidnap you. Yes, everything is finished. You were included in the finished work of Christ. But how does that get to me? Because he will not impose that. Can I say this, which probably should take uh, six weeks to say? <laughs> but can I say it? Um, the finished... Okay, put it like this. I, I, the question I've asked many people. When did Jesus finish the work? When he cried that out, it is finished. At what point was it finished? And I've had many answers. I've had people say it was finished when he died. And others say that it was finished when he rose from the dead. Do you realize the finished work of Jesus in achieving your total salvation was not on the cross and it wasn't in the resurrection it was in the ascension when he entered the invisible half of the universe and was there the man the human in the heart of God who was the guarantee now that we had a place there. And from there, he sent the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost marked the finishedness of his work because the Holy Spirit is the one 
who comes to be the completer of the finished work. Jesus has done it, but now the Holy Spirit comes and actualizes that work in us. He completes that work in us so that it's not words on paper, nor is it an isolated, remote, historical event. But the Holy Spirit brings that and joins us to what already belongs to us. And so the New Testament talks freely that we, we, when Jesus died, we died. How, how I died? Is that a mental mystery? I've got to try and think that I died with Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can cause my heart to realize I was joined into the death of Jesus and when he died my whole screwed up life died and was buried with him it's only the Holy Spirit that can join me to the resurrection of Jesus and cause me to experience now born again and being one with the new creation only the Holy Spirit that can sit me down in total rest and assurance in the heart of God to know that I am accepted. The Holy Spirit, you see, is love, for the Holy Spirit is God. God, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes from the ascended Jesus the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus with us now to actualize his work in us so he is love uniting the Holy Spirit is love relating the Holy Spirit does what the New Testament says over and over again that Christ is in in you and you are in Christ that is you know two but one he's inside of you and you're inside of him and he doesn't push you out of the way and you don't push him out of the way you both occupy the same space two yet one and at the same time he is in the father and the father is in him but you're already in Him, so that means you're in the Father. The Holy Spirit teaches you that. The Holy Spirit actualizes that. The Holy Spirit deepens that, nurtures you in it, and expands your understanding of it. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, in the hours before He died, Jesus urgently said to the disciples, that it's only when the Holy Spirit comes that you'll understand. And he said, in that day when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall know. And that word is intimately, personally. You will know that I am in the Father. And I am inside of you and you are inside of me. He said, the Holy Spirit will teach you that. Please stay with me. Please stay with me. There are so many, and they're believers, they just, I don't know, they've tried to make this an intellectual thing. They've tried to make it some sort of religious club where, where you all have the, the same intellectual whatever, but 
There's no life there. Talk about the death of Jesus as an historical event and not know in one's heart, I was there, I was one with it. Talk about Jesus as if he lives a million miles away instead of recognizing that in the Holy Spirit the ascended Jesus lives inside of me and I inside of him and we occupy the same space and my entire life happens in that space. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. You see it says in Romans 8 and 9, If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, he is none of his. So, the Holy Spirit, let me just throw this in, the Holy Spirit is ever expanding within us. The Holy Spirit, the Bible words are increase and abound. And therefore my experience of the Holy Spirit will forever be on and on and new understandings, new insights, new relationship understandings. I have many experiences of the Holy Spirit. But you see, let me put it like this. Who was it who preached the gospel to you? Sunday school teacher, neighbor, friend, someone you worked with, whatever. Somebody. But why was it that that came alive in your heart? What? What on earth was it that you, you, you suddenly saw it, you, you understood, and you responded? The Bible talks of simple witnesses like you and me. As we speak, we do so with the Holy Spirit. If I, if I talk to you now without total dependence and expectancy of the Holy Spirit... Well, this would be the deadest thing on the internet. Just words. And I will say this, the gospel, apart from the Holy Spirit making that, speaking it as a reality within you, the gospels is just irrelevant words that just don't fit into the 21st century. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took you to listen to that person. The Holy Spirit caused you to open that book. It was the Holy Spirit that even brought you to this program. It's the Holy Spirit. And he he never shows himself. He, He always holds in the background. So he does a whole lot in your life without you even knowing. And when you believed and you were reborn, but that rebirth was really the resurrection of Jesus in which you were included, now made real in your life. It says Romans 5 and 5, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in your heart. You see, you just can't think the love of God. It's got to be a heart matter. And so the Holy Spirit is called the teacher and in the Bible, when it says teacher or refers to teaching in any way, it doesn't mean this, this nonsense that we have here in the Western world. You know, you, you learn about something, cram the information, then some stupid true or false test, and they say you've passed the exam, don't be daft, you don't know a jolly thing. Look, teaching in the Bible means insight, understanding, grab your heart and translate into life and now you've got it. Quite different. The Holy Spirit is the enlightener. 
quietly. I mean, you look sometimes and say, why didn't I see that before? Because the Holy Spirit, this time you were ready, He just shone the light and you saw it. And He's the energizer in everything He shows you, in everything He teaches you. He is the one that energizes it. So you see, the gospel in my mouth, the gospel in your mouth, as it goes forth, the Holy Spirit is inside of those words. And so when persons hear that, they're connected with the words, and Jesus is alive and real. So it says in Romans 1.17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. The gospel, the gospel, the news is the power just a minute that word power is used all through the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit in the application of the resurrection of Jesus so you just don't say words we're not lecturing this stuff like you would if you're a teacher of, of, of geography or something please understand this isn't a club this is a divine encounter when the Holy Spirit sets His Word alive. The Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I was terrified of the Spirit in my earliest, earliest, earliest days. I have come to realize the Holy Spirit. Huh. He's the Spirit of the real. So the Holy Spirit is the one who shows us real life and sometimes we get very excited about that and and people who know the Holy Spirit will be associated with rejoicing and gladness and and of course religion is terrified of that because religion is in the business of doing a lecture on dead history and so when they meet the Holy Spirit who is alive Jesus here now religion gets terrified I was lecturing in a certain university to the theological students lecturing on the Holy Spirit I took all day with them and in the late afternoon they said could we ask questions I, I said well yes we, we've, but I thought I, we, we've covered just about everything so I said before we get to questions would you allow me to lay my hands upon you and pray that you will actually be filled with the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about all day, and then we'll ask, answer questions. That lecture hall emptied out in three seconds. Theological students terrified of actually knowing they were connected with the Holy Spirit and thus with the finished work of Jesus. They... They love to debate. They love to talk about. They love to pass exams. But to know the Holy Spirit terrified them. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, He is the very person of the ascended Jesus here and now. He is. He is the love of God. He is joy. The Holy Spirit is never down. The Holy Spirit is never negative. The Holy Spirit is joy upon joy upon joy. Again, I say it. When you meet with people that know the Holy Spirit, you meet with a joy 
that sometimes to the religious person can be unnerving. The Holy Spirit is peace. Not as the world gives peace, but God peace, which is peace at your heart. Whatever's happening around you, the Holy Spirit is that peace. He's never anxious. The Holy Spirit is never frustrated. The Holy Spirit is never afraid. He comes to you with that peace that He is. He is patience. Patience? The Holy Spirit has worked with me these last 65 years. I would have given up on me about 64 and a half years ago, but the Holy Spirit's patience never gives up. Never, never says, well, you're a hard case. I've, I've got to go to somebody else for a while. No, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm aware the Holy Spirit is there beside my bed within me. Just, he, he, he's excited to get on with the day without any reference to the mistakes of yesterday. What, what shall he show me this day? He is kind. The Holy Spirit is the kindest person you'll ever meet. He is goodness. Goodness. He cannot be any other. He is God. He is faithful to the covenant. He will never leave. He'll never forsake you. And when He deals with you, He is gentle. Huh. He's never rude. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit's never rude. He, he, he cannot be unforgiving. He is forgiveness. He's never angry, leave you in a raging mood. He's never moody. He's never demeaning. He never puts you down. He never shames you. The only one who shames you is the devil. So if you feel any feelings of accusation demeaning and put down and you're no good that's not the Holy Spirit he's the encourager he's the one who comes alongside of you at your deepest heart and strengthens you the Holy Spirit is God being for you blessing you favoring you now and in this moment, joining you to Jesus, the loving kindness of God. And that is all contained. Yes, I didn't forget my text. Verse 22, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us. That upon us. That's quite a statement in the Old Testament. Your loving kindness be upon us. What does the word upon mean? Well, it means what it means. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't have to go too far in just uh, upon. You know, upon, coming upon us. And so you could say it means like a tent. Uh, you could say it means to rest upon it means to surround as arms of beloved surround you in an embrace. It means to engulf you in the love of God. It means the reality of this 
living inside of Christ and Christ living inside of you. Inside, inside, tented, upon, around. You get it? Another Bible word would be overshadowed. So that you, you live in a radiant cloud of clearest light. Because you're living inside of God who is light. And that is always creative. It's, it's ever bringing forth where you never thought you'd ever be or do or go. One translation of this, be upon us, is experience. A and I suppose that really does almost sum it up. That the Holy Spirit comes upon us and in us and we experience the love of God. <laughs> I I'm sorry, because I, I realize that talking about this, it spoils you, doesn't it? It spoils you for, for going to church just to hear another lecture about something that's irrelevant to what's happening today. There's a hunger, there's a cry inside of us to experience the love of God, to know Him. Well, and please let me say it again because I know where you're coming from. This is not some second experience you have. This is, what it, this is Christianity 101. This is when the church began. The, f the work of Jesus was finished. He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit with us now is the finished work of Christ. And when you believed, when you heard the gospel, that was the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. It was the Holy Spirit opening your ears and heart. And everything that's happened since, it's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Do you remember Jesus risen from the dead? Okay, you remember, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, he ascended into the other half of the universe 40 days later, at six weeks. And for six weeks, the disciples had a private Bible study with the risen Jesus, who taught them now everything that had happened in his death and resurrection and and fitted it all together with the Old Testament. And it says amazingly in, in the Acts that Jesus did that. He taught them through the Holy Spirit, which means even in his resurrection, Jesus was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I would say, if I had a private Bible study with Jesus for six weeks, I'd be ready to go and tell the world what it was all about. Instead, at the end of that six weeks, Jesus said, don't say anything, don't do anything, don't go anywhere. Just go and wait. And wait, of course, means expect. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes to you as you've seen him with me now he's going to be with you and he will come what was the word he used the Holy Spirit will come upon you same word and the Holy Spirit will empower you to see and he said then then off you go to the ends of the earth.
Does that make any sense? Doesn't that say forever and ever this isn't an intellectual event, even if Jesus is the one giving the facts? This is... It's not just words. Those words are the actual uniting in this ever-expanding life with God. And we, we know that He's in us and... Let me throw another one at you. This upon. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 12. Read the chapter. I'm, I'm not sure of the verse. But it says that the Holy Spirit, by one Spirit, it says, you were baptized into the body of Christ. Now the word baptized is associated with water baptism. But the word baptized has a meaning all of its own. And let me give you the meaning of the word. Actually, baptize is not an English word. It is a Greek word that was never translated. The word in Greek is baptizo. And and it slipped into English and became baptized. But it's the same Greek word. What does it mean? It means, it was used to describe when a ship sank to the bottom of the ocean... And there, the ocean was inside the ship, and the ship was inside the ocean. They said it was baptized. When a person took a a sweater, and they put it into the dye to turn its color, when every fiber of that sweater had been dyed with the color, they said it had been baptized. Do you get what th- this word means? It means to immerse into until you are completely united together with. In that sense, of course, I've never baptized anybody in water. I always bring them out before it's done. <laughs> yeah. Baptize. Th- th- this, it says, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body And if you read the whole chapter, that body is all of you and I who believe, but it says that body is Christ. It says you are baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit puts you into Jesus Christ. You can't think your way there. You discover you're there by the grace of God when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. He puts you there. You talk about born again. You talk about new creation. When I open my eyes to realize I am joined with the history of Jesus. And his history is joined to me. And and, and this idea, you see, it's come around in the last hundred years that, that to receive the Spirit, that's the event. And um, when I, when I've got it, I've got a badge, I've received the Spirit. Well, as I read the Scripture, it talks about, uh, in fact, in in Ephesians 5.18, where it says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, um, the actual Greek words there are, be being filled, which means continually, which means the event is when I woke up, to the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, my teacher, through the words that came out of some simple, ordinary believer whose words were impregnated with the Spirit. But now, 
I be being filled. That is, there's never a moment when I am not ongoing, walking in this new world, new world of a new reality. The Holy Spirit, my continual teacher, explainer. So it's not a one-time event, it's a lifetime of ever-increasing, ever-expanding, filled and being filled, so that every experience of life becomes a new insight, new enlifing with the Holy Spirit. And it says that this is our hope, your loving kindness be upon us. And then in the end of the next sentence, it says, this is how we hoped in you, hope. And again, that's a great word in the Old Testament. You, you meet in the Old Testament, the word hope is mostly under the word wait, waiting. But that word hope, waiting, it, it means expectancy. You know, it's got nothing to do with, with, you know, how we use the word today. You know, in the hospital foyer, you'll use the word, well, we, all we can do now is hope. Which really means not a hope in the world. Uh, it's how we use it today. Or, well, we hope so. It's always got the negative attached to it. In the Bible, the word hope means absolute assurance of something coming to pass. And therefore the expectancy has no negative in it. It is attended with excitement, anticipation, on tiptoe. It means I am so assured I rest in that fact. There's no anxiety attached to it. I rest in it. It's with confidence. It's with sureness. And this particular word here in, in this verse... It's, it's a kind of unique word, wait. It, it means to pull tight. It means to be firm. Pull tight together. No loose thoughts. Focus. That is my focus. My absolute sure expectancy is his loving kindness in every possible way you could think in every possible hour of my life I expect, I anticipate, I'm looking for I'm excited about his loving kindness being upon actually communicated to me I hope in him it's a hope in the present moment it's a hope concerning the future it's not a hope about the past stop doing autopsies on your past that's the best that the world counselors and psychiatrists can do is go back to your miserable past and say well it all happened in your childhood and you've got all these things that happened and we've got to fix them and in fixing them he said that all of that was nailed to the cross and Jesus carried it to death. You died. It's over. It's finished. Let it be. And recognize that any time you look at the past, you look at the past through the eyes of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit.
and recognize that he now is building into you his love, his joy, his peace. And therefore off of you, like flaking off old skin, is unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and all the other nonsense that was once part of you and is no more. We hope in his loving kindness, the application in us of Jesus Christ. We hope in him, of course. We hope in his loving kindness. We don't hope in our self-effort. None of that daft stuff that after I've read the Bible through ten times and fasted four weeks, then God would... No, just as you are, right at this moment, as you're hearing my words, let your expectancy be of his loving kindness being upon you. And let that hope be... Take it to its limit and then add on a mile or two. You see, it says here, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. According as, or in proportion. Your hope, your expectancy that the Holy Spirit has brought you to right now. The Holy Spirit has enlarged your vision, has enlarged your expectancy of what life can be like. He does that because your hope is the container. I can't receive more than I expect. See, there is a sense in which even when I receive what I expect, it's more than I expected. But, but do you understand me when I say there are so many believers who read this Bible and they say, yeah, that was for then. They, they read these incredible promises and they're saying inside of them is not for me. Well, then you, you, you've limited yourself. It says that his loving kindness is upon us according to, in proportion to how we hoped in you. And in the same breath I'm saying that's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in your life, to increase your expectancy, to open up your heart. So as it says in Ephesians 3, that that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, when, when you expect that, yes, you heard me, that's in the Bible. It says that you, ordinary, simple believer, your hope, your expectancy, according to what Jesus has accomplished, what the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now, that you should be filled with all the fullness of God. What's that verse in the Psalms where it says, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. If I only just move my teeth a little bit apart, it's hard to get a stake in there. He says, Open your mouth wide. The, The picture is of those baby birds in a nest with their beaks wide open and mother bird is stuffing all she can in there. That's that's the exact that's what the Psalms talking about. Baby bird, open your mouth wide, for he longs to fill it with all his fullness. So, how do we close out? Number one, 
if you got this one thing I'd be satisfied and that is you realize this is the age of the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost the new covenant is according to all of the Old Testament the covenant of the Spirit and for so many believers they're terrified of the Spirit they are ignorant of the Spirit they leave him out completely and, and men that I just leave them with God who, who said that the Holy Spirit ceased his work when the apostles died that is the most damnable heresy and yet it's believed by I don't know how many churches and pastors and Holy Spirit stopped working when the, when the disciples died that's terrible and yet you've been raised with some of that stuff Look, sit back and know the Holy Spirit right now. Can you, can you accept this? The best friend you'll ever know is sitting right beside you, the invisible person of the Spirit. He is your friend. He's love and He's peace and His joy and His gentleness and kindness and goodness and patience. And, and, and right now, he, 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 He's just... <laughs> I was going to say he's dying to that. That doesn't fit really. The Holy Spirit is, is livingness to do you good. Say hello to him. Realize he's been there all the time and for the most part believers ignore him and try and do it all with an intellectual gymnastics. Learn. I sit down every morning I have coffee with the Holy Spirit. I, I ask, what's he up to today? What do you want to show me today? I've been reading this. Could you explain this, Holy Spirit? I heard this the other day. Is that you? The Holy Spirit is my dearest and closest friend. The Holy Spirit. You see, I had a weird advantage because of a certain aspect of religion in my earliest earliest years I do not have even a high school diploma um, we were told we had to quit school because Jesus was coming back and so I, I lost my track to the University of Cambridge and I, I, I was left sort of adrift and so I was thrown upon the Holy Spirit. You've got to teach me because I've lost everything else. And of course, looking back, though I sure didn't see it at the time, but looking back in, in the goodness of God, that's exactly what I needed. If I had gone to University of Cambridge, I would still be there. I know that. I, I'm, I have a passion for education and study and research and... I suppose the Holy Spirit knew he'd got to keep me out of that or I'd, I'd drown in it. But the Holy Spirit became my teacher when I was 14, 15 years old. I began realizing the New Testament was filled with the Holy Spirit teaching, guiding, explaining, enlightening. And I said, please do it, do it. And I've been asking that every day of my life since then. Please wake up. That it's take that out of this the loving kindness of the Lord be upon you experience and the Holy Spirit will do it every day as you 
come to know him and ask him and use the prayers of the New Testament that the eyes of my understanding being enlightened Holy Spirit does that you see that you might know the hope to which you have been called the Holy Spirit gives you that no the same power that raised Jesus from the dead the Holy Spirit connects you with that I could keep going Colossians 1 says uh, that we might be filled with the knowledge of God that is what God knows put into my head and so on the prayers of the New Testament they're all going back to the Holy Spirit because they understood what Jesus said you can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit Paul said I came to you preaching Christ crucified but I came in fear and trembling as far as I was concerned I couldn't do this I can't I can't unite you to Jesus but he said I came praying one thing that I would speak in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of man. You wouldn't just have a silly belief about Jesus. You would have a faith that's imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. So, read the promises of God. Read all these loving kindnesses of God, all that he promises to do. But as you read it, keep asking as you're reading it, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to what this means in my life. Do it in my life. I'm open to you. Get bold, get reckless. You say, I don't want to be presumptuous. You try it. Yes, try it. You'd have to go so far before you get presumptuous with God. That's a bunch of religious hogwash. Don't ask too much. God might be offended. Don't always say, if it be your will, because if if it isn't his will, you might blow up the planet. Look, forget it. That's all religious nonsense. Be reckless. Come boldly to the throne of grace. He said it. Holy Spirit, how does this work out? Remember, the ultimate is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, it says, and I'm over time, but quickly, it says, let, let your loving kindness. Whenever you say let, let something happen, it means that it's happened but it's being held back. It's sort of... It's it's the river in flood, but the gates of the dam are still closed. So you open the gates and let the river flow. You can let it because it already is, you see. Coming here to do this, I, I, I sat at a red light... My engine was throbbing. The car engine was throbbing with with life and energy. And I had my foot on the brake. But when the light turned green, I took my foot off the brake and put it on the accelerator and let the engine go. If the car hadn't been turned on, I, I, I could have pressed the accelerator all I wanted. Nothing would happen. The word let demands that something has already happened now let it be well the finished work of Jesus is the final ultimate fact of history the Holy Spirit in your life is and all the promises of God are yes yes God's love willing to be known in your life let 
I suppose the Virgin Mary said it better than anybody ever had or will. When she received the news of what the Holy Spirit was about to do in her body, she said, Be it unto me according to your word, or let it be. You said it. Your word is throbbing with Holy Spirit life, then let it be. Do what you said you can do. Amen. Now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may His love blessing flood your life. Fill your mind with clarity. Let His rejoicing fill your heart. Let your body be healed. And that you come to experience that you are in Christ and Christ in you, in the Father and in the Spirit. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.